much horror business Driving late at night Psycho 78 12 o'clock Don't be late I said all this horror business uh, I mean, yeah, whenever you're ready Greetings and salutations My name is Justin Lore. And I am Liam O'Donnell. And you are listening to another <laughs> New Yorkish episode <laughs> of our business. Is uh, only one of these? Yeah, but Larry Cohen is fucking New York. Yeah, that's fair. But the, I, I'm right about that, right? That it's alive is. It's alive takes place in Los Angeles. Okay. Hey, we're talking it's about a very metropolitan episode. We're talking about Q, the Winged Serpent, and 1974's "It's Alive." I like I like that you said it that way. Yeah, it's been a little bit. When when was the last time we recorded? It feels before like before Halloween. Bit. Before Halloween, if, if a few days before Halloween. So it's been a it's been a bit. It's been about a month, a few uh, weeks. For those of you who've been slavin slavinly slavish slovenly slovenly no that's wrong. For those of you who've been waiting with great anticipation, mm-hmm. with uh, I guess I was trying to create an image that you were salivating about a new episode. Yeah, that's what I'm that trying makes to. Sense. That's what I'm suggesting. For those of you who've been so excited about a new episode that you've allowed yourself to salivate all over the place, all over yourself. For those of you, for those of you who've been waiting patiently and with bated breath. Bated breath. For a new episode, we apologize. We've been we've been busy. There's been a lot going on. Um uh which some of which we will tell you about in just a second here, but um also our lives have been crazy. Um Justin's always got stuff going on. I'm a busy guy. He he's a he's a busy guy. He's got you know work and family, and then he's got this bevy of ladies. He's always not at all true. Always with these ladies. There's no there's no ladies. Where, where are they? Where are they? I'm looking. I'm looking under the table behind the vacuum cleaner. I've got the baby out the door. There are no that you you do have a baby and work and uh, I went to Chicago. That was we'll awesome. Talk about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's just been it's been a lot. Um, my job sucks, so that's fun. It doesn't even exist anymore. Man, I'm such a bummer. It's fine. Well, I don't know. I I feel like you can cheer me up by asking me something. Okay. Um, you went to Chicago and you fucking hung out with Eric Roberts and Larry Cohen. So I'd want to hear it. Oh, by the way, the f- films we're doing today, in case you didn't pick up on it, they're both directed by the fucking one true god, Larry Cohen. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I want to be clear. That um, going to Sin Apocalypse and doing something—I I think you went right for it. I thought you were going to start with your usual, like, "Have you done any horror-related stuff?" I had to cut through the bullshit, and you were like, "No, fuck it." You hung out with Eric Roberts, so um, there's a fest run by a friend of the show, future guest Josh Goldblum. Great uh, dude, got us in the green dude. room to hang out with fucking Don Dockin. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> he he did that. He did uh, that Nightmare on Elm Street three with fucking Don Dockin. That, that was, was awesome. Great. Um, great dude. He runs a fest out. In Chicago called Sin Apocalypse. If you haven't checked it out, I will say you should look for some of the coverage on Daily Grindhouse because the only Cinepunks person who went was me, and I haven't written shit. Yet. Yeah. But well, they did a lot of coverage on Daily Grindhouse and on AV Club. Liam didn't eat the shittiest pizza in the country there, so that's good. Oh, I fucking hate Chicago pizza, but I did have an Italian beef, which I'm a, I'm a fan of. Hey, it's but a- I, what I didn't get to do was go to Chicago Diner. Yo, Chicago Diner's fucking legit. Yo, they took Eric Roberts there the night. So what happened? Okay, so Cinepocalypse is this genre fest in Chicago, the Josh Goldblum books. Part of it, one of the featured elements was a live taping of Eric Roberts is the fucking man with Eric Roberts as the guest. And in case you didn't know, 
I'm on that podcast. That's my <laughs> podcast. Uh, well, it's Doug Tilly's podcast, and then he allows me to be his humble servant. But I will say that this event was was largely me in the sense of I said to Josh when Josh said, maybe we can have Eric Roberts in a way that was like he wasn't taking that idea seriously. And I said, oh, that would be really cool. We should do that. And then Josh got that look that people who actually accomplish things get. Not me. We don't We don't get that look. Yeah. This is all we've accomplished is this podcast. Yeah. But people who really do things, they get a look and they're like, wait a minute, I could get Eric Roberts. And then before you know it, he's like, hey, man, uh, I got Eric Roberts, so you should plan on coming to Chicago. That's how that happened? Yeah, basically. I mean, I won't get into the nitty gritty of it, but yeah, I mean, they, uh, they emailed Eric Roberts. Eric Roberts said, this sounds cool. Here's my agent. His agent was like, yeah, this sounds really cool. Eric is into it. Let's talk, let's figure it out. Now, he was aware of the podcast before this, right? Um, my understanding is he became aware of the podcast when we made the t-shirts. Okay. So uh, he has people who run his Twitter. So the Twitter account knew there was a podcast, but he personally just wasn't really paying attention. But he does look at his Twitter. It's not like he doesn't use his Twitter, but he, for the most part, when you see things on the Twitter, it's stuff through his, like, you know, people, whatever, assistants yeah, yeah, yeah. and shit. So anyways, the, he didn't finally really look and figure out that this podcast, what it was, till we made the t-shirts. And he was like, whoa, <laughs> those shirts are kind of cool. Now, I think on reflection, if you listen to the episode, he doesn't love the design. I'm sorry, Mikey Smack. He feels like it makes him look fat, which I haven't told Mikey Smack that yet, but I should tell him. Well, that. we're telling him right now. He doesn't listen to this podcast. I'm gonna I'm gonna tag him when I put this on Facebook. Yeah, say Mikey Smack. There's Mikey a message Smack. for you from Eric yeah. Roberts in this thing. Uh, maybe maybe Mike listened to the episode and he knows this, but uh, Eric Roberts is like, I don't look that fat. Somehow I doubt that. Yeah, I bet. Anyways, so that was the primary reason I went out there was for that. But then as part of the fest, you know, they're getting Eric Roberts out. They yeah. might as well do a few things. So one of the things they did was they uh, they brought out Larry Cohen for two reasons. One, so they could show the documentary King Cohen, which is about him. And if you haven't seen it yet, you should. We'll talk a little bit about it in a sec. I was trying to get a copy of it for Josh, Josh, for Justin to watch so that we could talk about it and it would inform our discussion. But it's not really out yet, so I couldn't do that. So, yeah, we're not oh, pirates. I'm most certainly not a pirate. Uh, and then, um, then for those of you who don't know, uh, Larry Cohen and Eric Roberts collaborated on one project, the ambulance. Mm. And so they showed that so that they could do a Q and a together and they showed it on 35 millimeter. So, um, anyways, so that, that's the long, that's the, 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 that part of the story is I got to meet Larry Cohen. Well, okay. So then I didn't get to watch the ambulance okay so we recorded with eric roberts it was great you should listen to the episode that's the end of that i won't plug it again and then after that they did an intro for the ambulance and then it was like we went to lunch with eric roberts and then later larry cohen joined us so i got to hang out with larry cohen now let me put this out there eric roberts was awesome and personable and fun and like i could hang i could actually hang out there hang out there roberts is like hanging out with your endearing but embarrassing uncle so me to my niece. Sure. <laughs> but uh, let's put it this way. You're a little more woke than Eric Roberts. Oh. Not that he ever says anything bad. I mean, if you listen to the episode, there's a couple of moments in the episode where you're like, ooh, Eric Roberts, don't go down that path. That's how he is all the time. He's always about to say something that will ruin the dinner, but he never gets there because he's just a nice guy. Yeah, yeah. But he's definitely older, and he definitely 
uh, is a goofball. And gotcha. Like, is goofy all the time. And you're always worried that that goofiness will go too far. At least hanging out with him, it never did. It was always endearing. Yeah. But but that's sort of who he is. Larry Cohen is significantly older. So having lunch <laughs> with Larry Cohen, Larry Cohen just doesn't want to talk to us. He's like nice enough. Like it's not that he, I'm not saying he's mean. He's just, a, you know, he's a 70 some, it might even be 80 year old man at this point. Yeah. There's not a lot to connect with us on. You know, Eric Roberts is like chatting us up and telling stories. Larry yeah. Cohen is just like, yeah. Like just like they're just not really interested <laughs> in like getting to know us or us getting to know him, which is fine. He seems like a nice guy, and yeah. he told funny stories at the thing. But uh, but it was like when I say like oh, I had I had lunch with Eric Robertson and Larry Cohen, people who are really into horror and genre film, they focus right in on Larry. Oh, Larry Cohen, what was that like? And I'm like, sorry, man. It's like <laughs> there's nothing happened at that lunch to be like oh larry cohen here's a funny story about larry yeah. cohen whereas eric roberts is like yeah, 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 yeah like great stuff just funny again a little embarrassing you know he's the kind of dude like we walked into this restaurant and there's a little bit of like oh eric roberts here he's the kind of dude that like walks past someone and will like tap them on the shoulder and go the other direction he thinks that's really funny so <sighs> or like if someone does recognize him he like gives them a fist bump so in this restaurant, it's a busy restaurant on a Sunday in Chicago, <laughs> and in a busy restaurant of hundreds of people, this is Eric Roberts, like three people recognize him. Yeah. Probably. Three or four, maybe, recognize him. Most people are kind of like, who's that guy? They don't, he's not like a big name where people automate, but the, you know, three or four people really are like, yeah. oh my, if you, rec- here's what I've learned. If you do recognize Eric Roberts, you're not like, oh, there's that guy, Eric Roberts. You're like, oh shit. It's my Eric mom would Roberts. lose her shit if she saw Eric Roberts. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. people who recognize him love him, and with good reason, because he's not a dick. Like, uh, you know, apologies to famous people. I don't think anyone famous listens to our podcast, but if you are a famous person, you're checking out Hard Business. Thank you. Thank you, and I apologize. But you probably already know this. Many famous people are assholes. Yes. It's, I wouldn't even say the majority, but there's a chunk. And Eric Roberts, at one point, was famous enough to be an asshole, and maybe he was. I don't know. I didn't know him, though. Do but you think ages humbled him? Maybe. All I know is he's... All I can judge is the guy I met, okay. who is funny, who doesn't think he's amazing, but he expects people to kind of know who he is, but he doesn't expect them to treat him like a fucking rock star. He just is like kind of stoked if you know who he is. He's like, yeah, no, I am Eric Roberts. Like he's like into that. That's awesome. But then he's like wants to give you a fist bump and get to know who you are a little bit and then just keep going, keep it moving. You hmm. know, it's cool. He's a funny guy. And he's, he's the kind of dude who like doesn't know his own phone number. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> he gets told where he's going next. Like he, you know, he's kind of on the ride and his wife is his manager and she just, she brings a structure to his life so that he can just be a laid back fun old weed head like that's I, that basically. was gonna be the next question was eric roberts is a fan of the jamaican basil isn't he oh man so i take it you haven't listened to the episode yet. i have not yet no bro i don't want to ruin anything for anyone no spoilers but let's just say he tells a story about how he ended up on celebrity rehab and what it was like for him on celebrity rehab and um it's worth listening to the episode just for that i'll give you a preview uh Apparently, they get people in celebrity rehab by cold calling celebrities and asking if they have we addiction talked, yeah, problems. We, we talked about that. Yeah, yeah. And he was just like, yes, I have an addiction. No, they talked to his wife. So oh, 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 yeah. He comes home having just smoked an owl. Like, he's literally jade up. And he comes home, and his wife is like, hey, celebrity rehab called. He's like, yeah. She's like, yeah, they called and asked if you had an addiction problem. And he's like, that's funny. She's like, yeah, it's really funny. So I told him, yes, you're going to be on the show. <laughs> And he's like, what? What do you, what do you mean? <laughs> and like, I remember watching the episode and thinking, 
you know, one of these things is not like the other. You yes. So and so has smoked crack and robbed a store. It's like the so, scene from Half Baked with Bob Saget. Yeah. So like it's like all these. And then Eric Roberts is like, I think I'm using weed to avoid my problems. Like that's all he could come up with. The whole thing was a plot. I'm ruining it. Listen to the episode. Okay. Because then he talks about conflict. It's really good. Anyways, sorry about that. But you have a usual question that you asked me, and it relates to Sin Apocalypse. So if you could ask. Have you done anything horror-related recently? Oh, my God, I have. Tell me about it. Well, I went to this thing called Sin Apocalypse. And oh, Sin Apocalypse yeah. is a genre fest, kind of in the style of- Who books it? Josh Goldblum. Oh, where? Uh, in Chicago. Oh, cool. Did you go to the at Chicago the, Diner? At, at the Music Box Theater. Oh, right. I didn't get to go because Eric Roberts went without me. <laughs> he, is Eric Roberts a vegan? So, literally his writer says, Eric Roberts prefers to eat vegan, will settle for vegetarian, and then second asterisk, unless in Chicago and having deep dish pizza, will eat deep dish pizza. That makes me, that makes me sick to my stomach. I just think it's funny that like even at the restaurant, he mostly ate vegan until it was time for dessert, and then he wanted one of every dessert, regardless of whether they were vegan or not, because he wanted some goddamn dessert. <sighs> he is... lacks the dedication. Oh, never mind. I mean, it is what it is. At this point, Eric Roberts, do what you want to do. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's funny that he's like, I really would like to eat vegan, but if you're taking me for a deep dish pizza, I don't care if there's meat on it. I'll eat whatever you put in front of me because it's deep dish. And I'm like, dude, I don't even like deep dish pizza. Anyways. It makes me sick. So, uh, Cinepocalypse is a genre fest, kind of like Fantastic Fest. It has some horror, some other stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the strictly horror movies I saw was a movie called um, uh, The Lodgers. Okay. It's an Irish film. Okay. Uh Reminded me of like a hammer horror, like an updated hammer horror, like very atmospheric, but aesthetically had some like, ooh, this is going to sound like a negative thing, but I don't mean it negatively. It was polished like a Blumhouse film. Okay. Uh, but the way it tells the story reminded me of Hammer. Gotcha. Because when I say it reminds me of Hammer, you may be picturing a certain aesthetic, but I just mean in the fact that it relied on atmosphere and it wasn't like a shocking, gory, like yeah, that's yeah, not yeah. what it is. But the way it looked and was shot, it was a little, sh- even though it's a period piece, it was a little shiny like a Blumhouse, which I think for that actually, it worked. It it came across like an indie film, especially because a big focus was on the acting. I don't know if it's a completely indie film. I don't know what the year, I don't know if it's like a big studio in Ireland that put it out. I don't even know if it's an Irish film per se. I know that it's filmed in Ireland. I think the director was Irish, so I'm inclined to think it's an Irish. Yeah, film, I mean, but, if it looks like a duck and. But some of the actors were not Irish. Like the idea is that the family, it's about a family that has a haunting secret, mm. and they are from in the past another place. So their accent is more like a high British, you know what I mean, sort of thing. Like it, it's supposed to s- separate them from the local Irish folk. Gotcha. Um, but it, it's just two. It's a brother and sister. They live in a big house. There's something creepy going on. Mm. I don't want to ruin it for people, but let's just go ahead and say it was gross in a emotional way, but it's not gory at all. Was it gross in the way that like, uh, what was the movie you saw at Brooklyn Horror Fest last year? In the Flesh? Whoa, not like that. Okay. Uh, but some similar themes. Let's gotcha. Put it that way. Okay. Um, but no, not crazy balls. Nothing like that. It's definitely like a, a atmospheric period piece sort of thing. Anyways, it was really good. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll just talk about the things that were good. 
That was really good. And then um, it wasn't exactly horror, but uh, two movies I saw that were more in the crime realm but had some horror elements was a movie called Low Life um, that's really great, sort of Tarantino-esque film. A bunch of stories sort of coincide into one kind of – basically a bunch of people – it feels like vignettes in which people's lives are hard weird hard and difficult yeah but then it culminates in a moment where all of these characters realize that one asshole is kind of responsible for all of their problems and why Mm. they're in conflict with each other and they decide like let's go get that asshole and all of a sudden it becomes one movie and it's one movie the whole time because their lives all intersect but they don't know or it's not clear to them that there's really one target that they should be focused on so it's not clear how their stories intersect and then when they do it's Less in a Tarantino style, more in almost like a Magnolia, like a like a ridiculous, you know what I mean, that yeah, sort yeah. of thing. But it's very gritty. It, it uses it's the sort of movie that has a lot of humor because it was written by a by a comedy troupe. Yeah, but you know they talked about in the post Q and A that like the performances of some of what they wrote were so heavy that they ended up adding a lot more sincerity to the to the film, so that it it actually ended up being more emotional. So like. It, it it felt almost like a black comedy. Only some of the elements that you would call dark humor aren't funny. Yeah, like it's it's it has some real emotional weight to it. So I, I really like that. It I've never seen a movie that I f- was like laughing. Like there's a character who gets out of jail who has a massive swastika tattooed on his face, and his friend who picks him up is black. And so it's like on one hand, this guy has gone to jail partly because of his friend. So he feels some. But on the other hand, he is very curious to why he has the swastika on his face. And the moment in the car where he's trying to figure out how to ask him about the swastika (laughs) is like so good. And it's like so funny. But then that character has a serious arc and is acted. It's like, it's almost like someone took a joke, like a dumb joke, and then made that a real character with like real emotions that Hmm. you end up caring about by the end of the film. It's so fucking weird. I really liked it. And then there was another movie from Germany called. what was that called? Snowflake. Mm. That I really liked. Uh, it's a little bit too much in the Tarantino. It's sort of like someone took a Tarantino movie and then injected some Charlie Kaufman meta narrative into it. I really liked it. I can see why some people might not because it feels a little like self-involved. Yeah. But I feel like it's worth seeing simply because it uh, is very well acted, very well shot, beautiful film. Made for $50,000. Like, if you don't know, that's nothing. Yeah, that's nothing. It's like a micro budget. It, I mean, it took them two years. And I'm sure if I watched it again, maybe I'd notice some continuity issues. Because if you shoot something over two years, how do you keep it? Continuous? Yeah, yeah. But it works really well. And it's sort of like a miracle that this film exists. And I found it very funny and very endearing but i think for some people who are tired maybe maybe it's not yet time for them to have 90s nostalgia for old tarantino movies maybe that's not what you want but for me i was like fucking stoked on it so there were some other horror movies i saw um one that i didn't love but i think it's worth putting on people's radar if you're into horror it's a movie called downrange in which a group of folks on a road trip just encounter a shooter on the highway who just slowly snipes at them uh it's intense it's not for me but i can see why people might like it so if if you want something like i wouldn't say super fucked up but definitely like 
not a joke. Yeah, yeah. It's worth seeing. Um, and then the only other thing I wanted to say, this isn't related to Sin Apocalypse, but it's horror-related, and I think people should know about it. On Shudder, they have a movie called Hell House LLC. Did you see this? I did not. It's a found footage movie. You know me. I'm not a big found footage guy. And you can, you can, if you want more into that, you can check out our found footage episode we did a few months back. That's true. But this is one of the few in which uh, the story it tells and the imagery it uses, it got to me a little bit. I, I, I wouldn't say I loved it, but it was surprisingly effective, and I think I can recommend it. I'm going to check Especially that out. if you like found footage, I don't know why you wouldn't like this. Yeah, movie, yeah. Because it works really well. Um, and I've just been trying to check out more stuff on Shutter, so I saw that, and I think that's worth recommending because it's a newer, it's a newer movie. Yeah, did it come out this year? I don't know. I'm having trouble keeping track of that on Shutter. I didn't review it yet on Letterboxd, so I, when I check it on there, I'll see. But it's it's at least new on Shutter. It just got added because it's one of those things I want to check out. It's like I, there's there have been I, I I think 2017 for horror has been quality over quantity. Sure. Like 2016, there was just like all these like really good horror movies, and then 2017, it's like there haven't been a crazy amount of horror movies, but all of them have been like. There's been a lot that have been really good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a few stinkers, but not as many as as some other years. Like the one I'm about to talk about. Oh yes, uh, I will say there's still some. I you know we don't get very interactive listeners, but. If you are one of our more interactive listeners and there's a bunch of horror that you've been able to check out, we've talked about some like from Brooklyn Horror Film yeah. Fest. I talked about some, but um, if there's something that you think we need to put on our must-see list before the end of the year, let us know. We'll try to we'll try to catch it. I know like people have told me I need to see Tragedy Girls. I know that. Hmm. Um, fuck, I had a whole list. I don't even remember them now. But well, let us know what you think we need to see before the year ends. I will throw that up on, on, on Twitter and the book as well. Yeah. Um, I'll start out with the shit that I didn't like that I watched. I was unfortunate enough to watch the new Texas Chainsaw movie, Jesus. Leatherface. Why? Because I hate myself and I want to die. No, it's because you like, I mean, you like a few of those movies. Uh, I, yeah. I mean, I think the only one I, I, I actively dislike like as in I'm like why the fuck did I watch this is the Texas Chainsaw 3D the one with Leatherface? Yeah, yeah, you know the one with a No, like the one they just did where they were like only the first one counts. And it was mm-hmm. about like Leatherface's sister. But isn't there already a Leatherface movie? Yeah, Texas Chainsaw 3 was subtitled Leatherface. So you and you don't like that one. I don't dislike it. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was thinking that you didn't like two particularly, and they were both Leatherface. And I was oh, no, going to no, no, laugh no. about that. Uh, the first Leatherface is fine. I mean, it's not great, but it's, I mean, it's. It is what it is. What do you want? It's like a, yeah. yeah. This movie was like, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain the plot to you, and I want you to tell me which movie that came out in the past 10 years that was inspired by Texas Chainsaw this reminds you of. Okay. There's a murderous family. Yeah. They kill the wrong person. Okay. That person's relative is a fucking law enforcement officer who goes. Uh, yeah, it basically was Devil's Rejects, but instead of like Tom Towles and um, oh shit, what's his name? Oh god, you know what I'm talking about the guy who was in Out for Justice. Yeah, it's fucking Stephen Dorff, which is actually wasn't bad. You know, he 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 was like the only really good thing about the movie, but the rest of it was just like how many references. Wait, can we take a quick side note here and say, I think Stephen Dorff is underrated. I agree. I think he was fine as a kid. Yeah. And I think, though, not all of his adult movies are great. 
he's done some great performances that get ignored because he's Stephen fucking Dorff. He's genuinely menacing in Blade. Yeah, like one hundred percent. He's really creepy in Blade. Now, did you did you like his? Uh, was that a Sofia Coppola movie he did? Some somewhere, some sometime. I didn't see it. There's a movie where it's just like him hanging out with his daughter, but it's not his. You know what I mean? It's yeah, yeah. fiction, but it's like a actor. He's playing an actor who basically could be Stephen Dorff, who just when he's not being a washup actor is hanging out with his daughter, and it's very slow, but it's super. Char- I mean, the reason I think it's a Sofia Coppola movie is it's slow and super charming. So okay, I think it's probably her, but it could be someone else. All I know is it was a movie that people were like, "Oh, Stephen Dorff is some boring ass movie," and I saw it with Susan. I was like, "This movie's great." And even if you don't like this movie, the problem is not fucking Steven Dorff. Yeah, yeah. He is so good at it, and it really bummed me out that, like, generally people were like, this is bullshit. And I, don't, I, don't I mean, that, most people are dumb. Yeah, well, that's fair. Um, no, th- this movie was just like, it was basically like 90 minutes of how many references to Texas Chainsaw can we fit in. Um, the I think it was, is it Lily Taylor? She was in the Conjuring movie? Yes. She plays... Uh, Vera Sawyer, like the the matriarch. Sure. She's good. Okay. But everybody else, they somehow, there's like an evil teenage daughter in it, and somehow they allude to that being Chop Top. Like, that was the character. Like, it's it's very, it's very fucking weird and disjointed, and it basically, like, the, the problem I had with it was, like, they tried to do what Rob Zombie did with Michael Myers. They tried to have, like, here's this kid who belongs to this murderous clan of people, and he's a good kid. He's, like, the one good kid in it, and then it ends up where he ends up being, like, oh, he's just like, as fucked up as the rest of them, and... Uh. I, I, I'm not okay with our current obsession with every horror movie, not every, lots of horror movies where the the, the killer has to be sympathetic. Yeah. Occasionally, I get that. It but works. It's, like, if it's done well, but it but it's happened so much that I'm. Let's move on. Let's yeah. have some more not endearing killers again. Literally, so, the only enduring horror villain I can take is Pinhead, like Captain sure. Elliot Spencer. Him, sure, you know that's the only one I get. Sure, but every like Michael Myers was like whatever, but it was just he's not supposed to. Uh, I'm I'm with the original Carpenter of the shape. Yeah, he's just this thing that he's, kills people. Yeah, he's not supposed to have anything. Um. Uh, yeah, making him a de- and the one that bums both of us out a lot is, and again at this point we're so far away from it that it's just a cultural footnote. But it was a mistake to make Freddy Krueger cool. Like that was a problem. It was a yeah. real problem. And again, it, we're so far from removed from it that it now it's funny. But like in the moment, someone should have been like, guys, guys, guys. This is a child. He fucks children. Yeah, yeah. This guy fucks children. He's not a rock star. He's not cool. Yeah, don't lean into it in that direction. Either make him innocent or don't talk about it. Like, don't make him right. cool. Like, and uh, okay. So that's that. But this is the other thing I want to say. And it sounds like, and I don't understand this. I don't understand saying we're going to make a movie that's kind of a fan jerk off service. But then we're going to change details to make it its own thing. Yeah, I feel like you have to do one of either you're recreating what it is that fans love, or you're reimagining it for a new crowd. You don't jerk the fans off while changing important details. The problem I had with this movie is like Leatherface is already kind of sympathetic when you really watch those movies. Mm -hmm. He's a mentally handicapped man who is based like an attack dog by his fucking family who are awful. Like he's already like. Not, 
I mean, he, people, you, you ask like a normie and they're like, yeah, he's the bad guy in his movies. Like, it really is the rest of the family who do the truly evil shit in those movies. I mean, he's not endearing. No, no, no. But, you, but he's a little more, you can have a little bit of empathy like. Exactly. Oh, they, you know, he's the one that they need so, to be massive and brutal. And so it, it's it's just sort of like that's why he that's why he's already endearing. That's why the character has endured for fucking forty years. We don't need like a reimagining of that, especially three four years after they just did Texas Chainsaw 3D, which was one of the right. worst films I've ever seen. Right, and this was this was just like I said, it was. I mean, it was almost beat for beat, like The Devil's Rejects. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I I'm not one of these. A lot of people are these people that don't want to see any reimagining, and I'm actually okay with the reimagining in some ways more than I'm just going to recreate. I mean, this literally happens right where uh, we're going to remake something and we're going to basically make it look different and add a little bit more of gore or action yes. or whatever, but it's going to be the same goddamn movie. I'll actually take a reimagining over that. But I think we're all on the same page of saying, but if I really had my choice, I'd prefer a new idea. Yes. The best idea is a new idea. Then if we are going to do this thing, I'm okay with the reimagining. But what I don't want in a reimagining is you going, well, it's basically like the other thing, but we made it a girl or we did the thing. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I don't think the idea of like, for example, the Ghostbusters thing was so bad. It just wasn't a great movie. But the idea in of itself is a fine idea. But with this Texas Chainsaw thing, it sounds like they want to both rip off all this stuff from the original, you know, quote unquote, for the fans. Yeah. But then change important things. I just don't see why. I don't know who wants that. I don't know who these. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the movie made money. But it seems like most people are like, I don't want that. Don't give that to me. Yeah. It's like, "Ah, we decided to make this really authentic uh, Mexican meal. But then we poured fucking chocolate sauce all over it but why did you do that ah. oh you mean you made you made you made mole yeah. no like we know what mole like is hershey but we syrup. just did hershey syrup because it's like our version it's our fucking version oh god damn. it was yeah i mean it like i like i said it, it, it was just it was tough to it was tough to make it through um everything felt like they were doing it for the sake of uh you know how, like in the OG one, you know, there's not a, like a lot of gore, yeah, but there's still some intense fucking visuals. Yeah, it's fucked up, yeah. Um, this one is like there's there's no there's no sense of subtlety. There's no sense of, uh, I just it, it was like it it was you know like I, like I can't even explain what I'm trying to fucking say. This movie was just terrible. It was very heavy handed and ham fisted. I did watch a movie though that I I, I enjoyed. Starring James Franco, a little film called The Vault. Okay, I saw you post this, and the poster makes it look like the worst shit ever. Because I've watched another James Franco horror movie for Eric Roberts is the fucking man called The Institute. That is the worst fucking shit I've seen in a long time. So it, I'm a little skeptical about what you're It's interesting you should say that, because before we go any further, we want to tell you that this episode is brought to you by Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. Jesus Christ, that was a transition <laughs> I was not expecting. And the reason I'm bringing that up, well, first off... The reason I bring that up is because you can get quality fucking shit printed there. Look, look, are you screen printing something? You're wasting your fucking time. I wasn't going to say that. I was going to say, are you getting something screen printed? You should be getting it at Lehigh Valley. Yeah, why the fuck wouldn't you? If you can hear that, and don't assume like, well, I'm not in the Lehigh Valley. So 
Fuck you. All they right. will ship anywhere. Get on the goddamn email. You know what? I made Roberts. For, I made Roberts. I made T-shirts for Eric Roberts' fucking man. And you know where they ship those to? Peterborough fucking Canada. I don't even know where that mm-hmm. is, but it sounds like it sucks. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's very dismal and gray there. I mean, Doug Tilly lives there, so it must be bullshit. And fucking polar bears walk down the street with no regard for our laws. And with a shirt and no pants on. Yes. Daffy D- or Donald ducking it. Porky <laughs> pigging it. So Lehigh Valley Apparel Cruises. Shout out to Brad. Shout out to Chris. Shout out to both Jareds. Shout out to my man Mitch. Shout out to Alexis VB. And the reason I bring her up is because today I was out there and she had said that trailer that that poster looks fucking stupid. It looks really stupid. Okay. Excuse me. I have to take a sip of my beverage. So this is not your this story you're telling has nothing to do with the Institute, the other shitty horror movie that James Franco was in. No, 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 no. Um, it's basically like the plot is like there's these like bank robbers um, and they are robbing a bank because that's what they do. And um, it's like these like two sisters are the, are, are, the, are the leaders of the gang and they need like a half million dollars and they only find like 70, 70 grand in the, in the vault. And like James Franco's like the assistant manager. He's like, oh, you want the money. You have to go downstairs to the vault to get that. And they're like, where the fuck is that? He's like, okay, so you go downstairs, go down this long hallway. There's a vault and there's the money in there. So they go down there and then all this horrific shit starts to happen. Um, imagine the inside man, but spooky. Jesus Christ. No, I'm serious. I'm serious. It, it's like, like when I was, wa- here's the thing. When I was watching it, I was just like, this is just okay. But at the end, when it all, like they, they don't explain everything. But when they like, there's a, like a little thing at the end where I was like, that's like the fucking inside man. And it's definitely um, it's definitely worth watching because it's you know, fucking James Franco. I mean, don't be wrong. Uh, it, before I saw the Institute, I was stoked on it because I was like, "Oh, James Franco horror movie, yeah, whatever." And it was really bad. It also has the guy from um, the Rules of Attraction, the drug dealer. Uh, okay. Who is also in like One Eight Seven, like that guy? Sure. And um, has Clint Eastwood's very attractive daughter. All right, creeper. I'm just saying. And there's also a big white skinhead guy with white power tattooed in his head and 1488 on his chin which i do not condone I'm just saying he's in the movie <laughs> it's just a fact you're always saying racist shit man. um no but those are the two things i watched recently also i'm gonna say it recent episode of supernatural fucking had me crying with fucking steppenwolf playing when ugh. if you're listening to this and you watch oh that show you know what i'm God. fucking talking about i i will say because we watched it since we last recorded uh, I really liked the second season of Stranger Things. I mm. really, I really liked it. Yes, we talked about this. I'm just gonna say this. I don't want to get into a big discussion about it. I don't like how they did Bob. Spoiler alert. I don't like how things happen with Bob. Yeah, I don't like the result for Bob. I don't like the things that are eating a thing that may have been <laughs> Bob's body. <laughs> I just, I just, I don't love the whole, you know. We've added someone to the cast, and you care about them, and uh, we, uh, you know, they, they, of the uh, the people you care about, they've really only added two people, and one of them is a child. So, like, as soon as you start to care about him, it's like they're gonna fuck it. But I kind of like that. I, 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 I honestly think Bob's character was the perfect sweet spot of like. No, no, I'm saying if they had killed if they had killed Max's older brother, no one would fucking care. If they would killed number that. eight, no I one would care. I get that. I get that. But if they killed, clear, if there's they, a clear option that they, they should have gone for, who? Steve. You think they could have killed? No, that would have been too much. No, but that's what I'm saying. 
It's so cheap. It's they redshirted Bob. They redshirted him, and I'm I don't, not into I it. I don't think Bob was redshirted. I 100% feel, no. feel like he was. No, he wasn't. He he was the perfect. It's like in the first Transformers when they kill Jazz. Because they can't kill Bumblebee or Optimus Prime because people would stop watching those movies. And they can't kill Ratchet or fucking Ironhide because no one will fucking care. I fucking hate the first Transformers movie. I hate okay. every Transformers movie. I'm just saying. They should have gone for the actual first Transformers movie and killed goddamn Optimus Prime. You're an asshole. You're a That's heartless one asshole. one of the greatest moments in film history. It's when they kill Optimus Prime. I cried to my father when I saw that movie originally as a child. Mm. Cried in my father's mm. arms as a... Anyway, I think I, I'm okay with Bob dying. Bob dies. Bob Sean Sean Astin's character in Stranger Things 2 dies. He dies horribly. The Demo Gorgons kill him in say, episode nine. It's such a bummer. It is a bummer, but it's a but good I, bummer. No, I don't think it is. I think it's a cheap bummer. And I feel like Bob should have stayed and they should have killed somebody else. Who? Not or, Steve. Or just don't kill anyone. Mm, stakes is high, son. Stakes is high. But it's not high. That's what I'm mm. saying. It's a cheap, it's a cheap stakes ploy. is high. Whatever. How are the stakes not high? There's a fucking Cthulhu out there trying to get in a dimension to fucking eat us. Yo, it was less of a... I was hoping it was more of Cthulhu, but it was more like a smoky creature. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't love the creature. I love the Demogorgons. They're great. You know what I didn't love about the, this? The Demodogs are great. I'll, I'll say this, what I didn't love about it. A, what I seriously didn't like about it, I didn't like Dustin. I didn't like him this season. Didn't like it. I was into it. What I jokingly didn't like... You know, like a joke, like I'm just fucking around, was the song that they played at the very end. Okay. It should have been When in Rome's The Promise. Okay. Okay. Uh, Yaz is Only You. Okay. Or fucking Purple Rain. Oh, it, it should have been Purple Rain. It purple been, Rain would have been good. would have been so perfect. Because that scene was so perfect. Everything about that scene was like, oh my God. And then the shit with like, did you read the thing about the, 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 the hair tie on her wrist? No. Okay, so you know how like Hopper's daughter died. Uh huh. I'm like, um, in the first season when they show her, uh, when she has hair before she gets sick, she has like a blue hair tie. Yeah. And then when she's in the hospital dying, he's wearing that on his as like a bracelet. And then every time they show him, he's wearing the bracelet. And then at the dance, Eleven's wearing the hair tie because she's just I'm fucking crying because <laughs> she's his daughter. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> I think I that th- was powerful. That was very <sighs> okay. So, well, actually, let's put this out there. Do you? How do you? 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 I think you're a Hopper fan. Mm-hmm. Do you like Hopper? I do. I like Hopper a lot. I'm iffy. I'm iffy on the Hopper. No, I think he's like okay. David Harbor is going to be playing Hellboy, right. and one of the reasons I'm into him playing Hellboy is because. I think Hopper kind of embodies what makes the character of Hellboy great. He's like gruff. He's rugged. He doesn't really understand other people, but he's got this desire to do good. And ultimately, he's a good guy. Hmm. I, I'm not convinced because uh, this, I, that's how I felt about Hopper last season. This season, some of his interactions with Eleven, uh, feel more negative than some of the like he feels less bumbly to me and more like uh almost like emotionally abusive to 11 see i could see that but i also think it's i I think it's him making do with what he can and he's in like he's in like he's on what do they call it terra 
unfamiliar. I, what's the Latin term? Terra unfamiliar. Oh, sure, 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 sure. You mean sure. like Terra incognita, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, he's a father, so he knows how to basically interact with children. But I don't think he knows how to deal with a child who isn't his child, but he still has like fatherly responsibilities yeah. for. Also, let's keep in mind, he's dealing with someone who can move shit with their mind. No, I I get that, but I just think that the what I don't like about his portrayal on the show is that um, I feel like his owning up to her at the end should have been more... It sort of comes across like, look, we've both fucked up. And I'm and I'm like, I don't feel bad about her fuck up. And I feel like you're... you. I, I, there's a sense in... Uh, this is just my thing. And if people don't agree with me, that's fine. But I think there's a sense in which in movies we are more forgiving of this like charming white asshole. We're just like, oh, it's fine. He means well. Yeah. And like, and they play it off like for Eleven, like that's how she handles it too, is like, okay, I was mad at you, but I know where your heart is, whatever. But I think in real life, if that was your dad and he was treating you that way and you were like a kid I knew, like I was like, I don't know, your youth counselor or something. Yeah, yeah. I'd be like, no, fuck him. Like, that's not okay. okay. You know what I mean? Like, I think in the show, because he's our hero, we forgive some of that. And I wish on the show they made his moment of asking for forgiveness, which was the right thing to do. I wish they added a little more weight to it. It feels a little perfunctory. And maybe that's not what they intended, but that's how it felt to me. I wanted a little more from him being like, you know what? You run off to visit your punk family in Chicago. Ugh. That's I, I just think it, it came across like we both did wrong, and I'm like, meh. Yes, she shattered all the windows in the cabin, but she's a <laughs> teenager with powers. You're the adult. Yeah. Be a goddamn adult. Get your shit together. And like I I, I, I just don't wanna I don't wanna be in a culture where we're too forgiving of his kind of like again, he's not the worst character, and I'm so stoked on him being Hellboy. I just hope when they write Hellboy, I also think and this is another unpopular opinion. I also think Del Toro's Hellboy was a little too whiny, so I kind of hope he's a little less whiny this time. Interesting. Not not terribly. It was still fun movies. Yeah. And it's I mean it's our dude. Like I love him. His no name is Ron what. Perlman. Yes. Okay. I love Ron Say Perlman it. no yeah. matter what. But I do feel like the character of Hellboy has moments in interacting with Liz in the movies that I think are a little more on the like childish aspect and how he interacts with her. Whereas in the comic, he moved pretty quickly into like a uh, resigned nihilist. Yes. Uh, sort of like, I don't care. Yeah. Fuck everyone. I'm going to go drinking with skeletons because none of this matters. Yeah. Like, you know what? Look, there are two options here. Either I get to be normal and live with humans and have a normal-ass life, or I cause the end of the world. Yeah. Those are literally the only options available to me. So, uh, fuck it, you know? I mean, not that there isn't some of that with Liz, but I think it becomes a respect thing in the comics yeah. pretty quickly. And I just don't think the film... I mean, I'm not saying Del Toro never could have gotten there, but he got to make two movies. Yeah. So I was kind of like, this isn't what I want at this point. I want more of the grizzled, you know, basically right before he dies, Hellboy. Like, <laughs> that's what I want. I love, that's my favorite yeah. Hellboy is the Hellboy kind of like, everything's getting real bad, but I can at least punch it. Like, that's yeah. all I got is I got this big hand. Anyways, 
uh, we're, we're going really long, so uh, we should talk about our two yeah, movies. We're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, we're going to talk about 1974's It's Alive. It's Alive! We'll be right back. The Davises have had a baby, but they're not sending out any announcements. Most new parents are a little scared when they have a baby. The Davises are terrified. You see, there's only one thing wrong with the Davis baby. It's alive. It's alive. Don't see it alone. Please. Rated PG. All right, and we are back to talk about 1974's It's Alive. Got my phone out to like say who was in it, and then I put it away like an asshole. <laughs> um, so It's Alive is a Larry Cohen film. Let's talk a little bit about it. So part of her choice of doing two Larry Cohen movies was partly because of me meeting Larry Cohen. That's actually literally what it was. It's because yeah. I came over to watch a movie. like, hey, what do you want to do? Like, hey, uh, Larry Cohen. So yeah, let's watch. Uh, we were going to do this stuff, and God told me to. Sure. And then we ended up like, nah, let's just do Q and uh, It's Alive. Well, you hadn't seen It's Alive, right? You've seen, no. You've seen God Told Me To. That's the thing. I've been thinking about this. I don't think I have. I oh, should have done it. God Told Me To and It's Alive. Because I've never seen God Told Me To either. Really? Yeah, but I have seen Q and It's Alive before. Okay. Now I feel like an asshole. Well, I mean, we've also never seen The Ambulance. We could have done that. Yeah. But I feel that like Q and It's Alive are very more... For our podcast. Sure. You know, very more... Yeah, very more good is what they They're are. Very more They're good very more good. Do. I mean, don't get me wrong. If if you're disappointed right now listening to this, we're going to do this stuff at some point. I mean, we both oh, yeah. love this stuff. Yeah, that's that movie is, I mean, who doesn't like this stuff? Assholes. Yeah, jerk-offs and assholes. So, uh, this movie was written, directed, and... Produced by Larry Cohen. It starred John P. Ryan, Sharon Farrell, James Dixon, and William Welbin Jr. Music by Bernard Herman. Nice. Yeah. Larry Cohen throwing up the bucks there. Let's be clear. Larry Cohen did real good with music. Like, yes. A lot of his films had great composers. I think he reached out to people that people weren't hitting up anymore. Yeah. Like I think in this case it was like, you know, oh, we can't get we can't get him. Yeah, we can't get uh John, uh, John, we can't get John Williams for this film. He won't do a hard. Well, this is before John Williams is really big, but right. But you know what I mean? Like, yeah. his people were usually people who had most of the time they're people who had done stuff in the past, and somehow he gets them. Also, I mean, most of the movies that Larry Cohen did, he wrote and directed as well. Yeah, the ones he did that were sort of work for hire things are not as well. People don't really think about those as much. They don't get as much attention. Like what? Um, I think special effects or uh, the movie. What's the movie he did with Billy D. Williams? He did a movie with Billy D. Williams? Oh, man. Okay, so we're going to do this really quick. I mean, I, if you listen to the show, you know we're not researchers. We don't research. We have our moments, but we, it, we're not consistent enough. Let me go ahead and say, um, if you get a chance, if you're listening to this, if you get a chance, you should see the film um, King Cohen. It's just, it might seem weird to be like, oh, well, it's a movie about Larry Cohen, a director that a lot of people don't talk about. But uh, my man has worked a lot, uh, not just as a director, but as a writer and as a producer. Um, And before he did films, he had a pretty interesting TV career. So um, just to give you guys some highlights, he 
uh, help create the show Branded, which a lot of people who are our age only know as a joke from Big Lebowski. Okay. Uh, but that show that they're talking about on the Big Lebowski, yeah. Branded, he created, that was his idea. Um, uh, that NYC, or there was, a, there was a New York cop show, that was his idea. He talks about the movie that they just stole from him. He like wrote a spec. And they're like, oh, we're not going to go with this. And then they did. Uh, he wrote for The Defenders. He wrote for The Fugitive. He wrote for Espionage. He wrote for a lot of uh, films um, and TV. And then he started his film career as a director later. And partly his desire to even be a director came out of this feeling that people weren't doing his scripts right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so his first film was a movie called Bone, starring Yafet Kodo. Uh, highly controversial film. I can't imagine why. A lot of stuff going on there. Well, it's not Bone. It's just his name. It doesn't okay. have to do with his boner. Okay. Uh, and and even though that movie isn't technically a black exploitation film, it sort of is considered one of the first movies that kind of led to the black exploitation boom, um, because. Uh, you know, not a lot of movies in 1972 had a uh, uh, honest black male character. I mean, Yafet Kota's character in the movie is he basically takes this white family hostage. And then he's just like straight talking them as to why this is happening. No jive talking, just straight talk. Well, in the sense of like, you know... Before that, you got to figure, before 1972, you've got Sidney Poitier being like, am I not a man? Yes. You know, it's all very, <laughs> it's all very dignified. Yeah. And, you know, with, with Bowen, it's a little bit more like, you motherfucker. Like, you know what I mean? It's a little bit more raw. Uh, I, I mean, like that. I like the fact you just did a Sidney Poitier impression. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know that I, that's a good impression. So, um, <clears throat> so Larry Cohen continued in this. By the way, Bone, Black Caesar, and Hell Up in Harlem all shot at our man's house. His motherfucking house in L.A. Now, you said before, Larry Cohen is known for his New York shoots, and that's true. But in this stage in his career, he was still shooting in L.A. a lot. But all three of these films just used his goddamn house as the set for, like, big mobster activity. So uh, the next movie, he did Black Caesar. Again, worth talking about because we're probably never going to talk about it on horror business because it's not a horror <laughs> movie. Um, and Hell Up in Harlem was the sequel to Black Caesar, which I never knew and I've never seen it and I really need to see it. Uh, and then, the reason this is significant besides just letting you guys know a little bit about Larry Cohen, on the weekends of Hell Up in Harlem, they shot It's Alive. Really? Yep. And a lot of the background people from Hell Up in Harlem are in It's Alive, including the cops, the detectives, like a lot of people you see on screen in It's Alive were the cast from Hell Up in Harlem. Hell Up in Harlem just was funded more. It's Alive was his first sort of thing into horror. And what's crazy about It's Alive is uh, it actually came out originally the year before. Yeah, yeah, you were saying when we were watching it. Yeah, in in King Cohen, they talk about how it came out the year that The Exorcist came out, but it basically got buried because they were like, evil baby. Fuck, that's so fucked up, whatever. And then, uh, you know, Larry Cohen starts to make the case like, look, you just had a movie, one of the biggest grossing horror movies of all time, in which a girl masturbates with a crucifix. Spoiler yes. alert if you haven't seen The Exorcist. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. But that happens in the movie. And he's like, so you're going to bury my movie because it's a killer baby? That's stupid. Like, he just made this argument. And eventually, this is just a different time. The studio's like, all right, you're right. And they released it again. 
and a wider release the next year, and it killed. It was one of the highest grossing movies that whole year. It destroyed. Oh, yeah. And it played forever. And uh, and I really think it was partly because the marketing campaign in the movie they showed the original posters, which were very tame. And then the new poster, for you all who haven't seen it, I think It's Alive is one of the best marketing campaigns because it's this, it's very simple. It's just this, uh, you know, baby's, uh, I don't know, is that a carriage or a crib? It's like a it's crib. It's like a crib. Yeah, they... Um and uh, there's a hand coming around. It's like a scary monster hand, and it and it says the only thing, thing wrong with, with their Davis baby, Davis baby, baby is it's that a, it's alive. Oh, they man, actually on so Wikipedia they, they they ran it was a commercial. They ran this commercial on television where it was this baby carriage with Rockabye Baby playing, and then the fucking claw comes out, and that's when the voiceover comes up. There's only yep. one thing wrong with the Davis baby. Um, it's huge, and that marketing campaign I think is part of the reason that that movie. Hill. Definitely a better marketing, marketing campaign than uh, It's Alive 3, Island of the Alive, where the tagline was just like, the babies from It's Alive got an island. <laughs> oh, my God. So I just realized I got so into his career that I forgot to tell you guys the reason I was looking at his this in the first place was to tell you about uh, a movie like Deadly Illusion, which was someone else's thing that he just agreed to direct that people hated, and it was with Billy, Billy D. Williams. Oh, okay. So uh, it's alive. Um, it's I guess the plot of it is like we are, it opens up and there's this family. Frank, let me get my device out. We got Frank and uh, Lenore. Nevermore. Frank uh, and Lenore. They're expecting a baby, their second child. Um, they go to the hospital where fucking everybody smokes. Everybody smoked in the 70s. Everyone had a fucking cigarette. The doctor, the baby had a cigarette. You know, everyone has a cigarette. And the baby's born. And uh, this is one of the things that... So the, the, the baby's born. It turns out it's a fucking monster. It fucking decimates the hospital. It escapes. And then the rest of the movie is them trying to, to cope with it and try to hunt this baby down and kill it. Um, this movie starts out... Uh, I, I think Larry Cohen kind of has a reputation as being a bit of a goof. And his movies are a bit silly. Um, but even in Q, which has, a, I think, a far more lighthearted tone than this movie, there's still the way they shoot things. They definitely craft a certain feel. And when, wa- when, when we're watching this movie, when um, the main character, uh, John Ryan's character, uh, Frank, when he gets up to walk to the delivery room, the way it's shot is... It just focuses. I, I can't. I maybe there's a term for it. I I don't know. But the way it's shot, it just conveys this sense of just like inevitable fucking dread of someone just moving towards something horrible. And um, I mean, yeah, it, it's just there, there. There's a lot of. I mean, of course, there's the obligatory point of view shots from the baby where it's all like weird and goofy. But uh, I I think Larry Cohen is is really good at at using um like very simple cinematography to convey this sense of like claustrophobia and fear well i think there's because a lot of people i think get into of our generation at least get into larry cohen because of the stuff yes and they misread the stuff they misread the stuff and they misread our man's performance who we'll talk about about his performance. god bless michael moriarty they misread michael moriarty which don't wrong michael moriarty and the stuff Seems like he's fucking drunk the whole. I mean, I've written reviews. He probably reviews. was. He seems like he's fucking drunk the whole. Like I get, I get what it is. So they see that, then they see some of Larry Cohen's other movies, and they think, okay, this guy is, is a goofball. 
Yeah. And then the general response seems to be they see it's alive. It's not goofy. I no. mean, it's it's goofy in the sense that it's a killer baby. That's a weird premise, period. Play, I get it. Play but the Rick movie, Baker. But the movie does not play it for last. No, no. It plays it straight moment. face the whole time. And I think because Larry Cohen is a showman, and because Larry Cohen is, Larry Cohen, Larry Cohen is actually, in a real sense, a high-concept director. I mean, think about it. Uh, okay, his first three movies are black exploitation, but they have you know aspects of aspects of them that are interesting. Yes, but then look at his horror output: It's Alive, Monster Baby. Not really clear what the explanation is. Probably related to corporate greed or birth control. There's definitely a class aspect to what's yes. going on. We can't let the poors know that we probably poisoned them. So when you find this baby, you guys just gotta murder it. Whatever, yeah. whatever. Then God told me to. Let's take religion. And fuck it up with all this alien shit. Like, it's literally like, let's just take this thing that all these crazy people say, God told me to do it. And then, like, make it about aliens and just, like, sort of problematize this whole thing that uh, is sort of a cultural phenomena. Um, let me skip. I'm, I'm like doing this and, you know, I, I mean, I don't know how to feel about the private lives of Jagger Hoover. That's weird. I, yeah, I think we it's can weird skip over thing. But, like, Q, it's. It's like clearly a movie where he's like, okay, we're going to do claymation. That's like a lot of the motivation of the movie. But even the story is there's the ritual murder aspect. There's this ancient this god who's back from yeah. war. It's Liam was just handed a gobbler bowl from Wawa by his wife. I just want to point that out. Now he's asking for water. <laughs> I'm the worst. <laughs> I'm going to edit out all the parts from a bad husband. Um <laughs> And even the stuff, the stuff is a movie in which we are hunted by yogurt. Now, <laughs> the reality, the, the reality is that it's a movie about consumerism. Yes. It's a movie about marketing and all that stuff. But I think because the stuff is funny, because a number of his movies are funny, we think he's a fucking joke. And our man is not a joke. I don't. I don't think he's a joke. And I no, think no, no, that no. You miss the. Of course, all these people who come to him because of some of the more outlandish titles watch "It's Alive" and go, "It's fucking boring. This is a boring movie. It's Ugh. anything but a boring movie." Yeah. I mean, it, it's goofy looking, admittedly, because this was um, this is you know, this is special effects by Rick Baker in his young days. So you know, he hadn't perfected his craft yet. This is pre thriller. Pre without warning, you know. Well, and I, uh, another insight from that movie, you know, Rick Baker was told that this creature he was making, the original sort of little doll thing, yeah, this was only going to be used so the actors would know. It was never meant to be shot. It was meant to be a stand-in so the actors would know what they were supposed to be seeing. But it wasn't the effect. And Larry Cohen was like, yeah, that looks good. We'll just use it in the movie. And Rick Baker was like, nah, dog, that's not what I made this for. Larry Cohen's like, yeah, I don't, I don't care. <laughs> like, I mean, it works, I guess. It's fine. So um, apparently one of, the, one of the things that I, I discovered in doing my you know, research 10 minutes ago on this movie was uh, in the novelization of it, they make it very clear what causes it's alive. Because at the end of It's Alive, they're like, uh-oh, we got another one. in Se Another one was born in Seattle. And then in It's Alive 3, there have been enough of the Alives being born where they get sent. They have their own island. They have this island of fucking killer babies. Um, it's birth control, which I don't know how comfortable I am with a guy making a movie about how birth control causes all these problems. Mm. That seems like vaguely misogynistic. 
Well, I think in his defense, all of his movies take something that's supposed to be benign and makes it really awful. Like yogurt. The only exception to me is Cube, though he makes the point when I when he did the Q and A live that he does this in all of his movies. But I was like, "What are you problematizing in Q? It's just a giant monster." He's like, "Yeah, you know when you're walking downtown and then big fucking birds come down and steal your head. That's what I'm making the movie about." But it is true, like it's alive. God told me to. Even the ambulance, literally, the ambulance is like, "Hey, you know what? You should feel good about when an ambulance comes for you." Unless you shouldn't, dun dun dun. And it's the ambulance. But like you know, he's that. All the movies he made that were his ideas are something that seems innocuous. I'm gonna make it dangerous. And it's alive is the best example because it's literally a baby, it's a child. Yeah, it's a fucking child. It's like the most, the most defenseless thing in the world. <sighs> what 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 else, what else about this movie do I want to discuss? Well, okay, I think this movie rests. To a large extent, almost to a, a crazy extent, on our man John P. Ryan. Yes, his perform. I mean, it's not that anyone in the movie is bad per se, but a lot of the performances are sort of stock, like just sort of boilerplate. Yeah. But John, I mean, uh, let me back that up a little bit. Sharon Farrell. So there's the, the couple of the day the the Davies. They actually have a complicated dynamic that isn't clear at first, but as the movie sort of develops and you see their relationship when the baby comes back to the house yes. and she's trying to take care of it and he is like, Shoots at fuck it. this monster. Their performances are actually super compelling for, again, a movie in which they've just got a plastic baby. Like, there's no effects for them to respond to. No, 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 it's no. It's just all all that's happening is on them and their emotional response. The scene where... Okay, so early on, um, John Ryan has decided that this baby is going to die. He, you know, he sits his other son down and he tells him, like, look, this is not related to us. This is not your brother. Like, we are going to kill it. This is... Don't think it's a family member. This isn't your relative. It's, it has to die. So he's, like, pretty on board with... um. The, and also in the background of this, there's there's like a citywide manhunt by the fucking police to find and kill this thing, and he's like telling his other son like, no, that's fine. It's not really, it's not really like a family member. Like it's okay if it dies. So he has committed to dehumanizing this thing and distancing himself from it in a familiarity uh, way. I guess is the term. Basically, it's familial. not familial. Familial, yeah. He's 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 distancing himself from. A, I mean, and like Liam just said, when the baby shows up at the house after I assume it, tr- it tracks their scent there, the mother is like, "Oh, it's alive! Come here, I'm your mother." And he's like, "Fuck that!" and starts shooting at it. Also, it kills a cat. That sucks. Siamese cat, if you please. <laughs> Baby's got to eat. Baby's got to eat. Sure. But then. So there's the scene where they 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 track the baby this to the sewers, and it's this weird. They have cop cars in the sewers, and the only illumination is their flashlights and the 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 the, the cop the bubble lights. So there's all this weird claustrophobic fucking kaleidoscope nightmare Willy Wonka imagery where like there's like a red strobe light and you see the baby like lurking in a pipe, and then John Ryan like distances himself and he finds the baby and he's like talking to it, and it's this like really really like this guy is going like balls of the wall like acting his fucking ass off like 
he's like crying real tears. Like you're seeing him emote real tears. And he's like talking to the baby. He's like, look, just be quiet. You know, I know you're scared. I'm going to take care of you. We're going to make sure it's okay. This, that, the other thing, like talking to it like a father. Um, and it's just, it goes like, it's like a switch. Like, it goes from like, I'm going to kill this thing because it is something horrible and it is not of my flesh. And then it just, you immediately buy into this thing where he's like, I can't kill this thing. It's my fucking kid. Well, but I think, I think what the movie suggests is that all of his shit about it's not us, it didn't come from us, it can't be related to us, that's about him. It's about his feelings of self-identity, about his feelings of failure. In those moments... Those are moments that I think parents could probably identify with. Oh, yeah. There's this feeling of like, I'm being judged. I'm judged because of this thing, which, I mean, to be fair, whether it was the environment or birth control, like you said, the novels make it clear, but in the movie, it's not clear what yeah, it they're was. Yeah, they're just, like I said, like when, when I said. But whatever it is, it's clearly not their fault. No, no, no. They haven't done anything. Well, and I yet, mean, she probably smokes, so. Oh, yeah, that's true. Because fucking everybody smokes. But you know what I mean? Like, there's no reason for him to feel guilty, but of course he feels guilty. Yes. They've given birth to a thing that immediately murders everyone in the delivery room is murdered, except for her. Yeah. And then like, it crawls through a hole in the ceiling. Yeah. And then it just keeps attacking people and murdering them. And of course, everyone is looking at him like, so you yeah. you had the murder baby. And like, what's funny is I really expected the film to have more moments where people go, Fuck you and fuck your murder baby too, and for the most part, people actually are like not that like yeah. they're they're awkward about it. Like so, monster baby, huh? Yeah. Like they don't know how to handle it. Uh, and he definitely is let go from his job because he works in marketing and no one knows what to do with murder baby. I thought they were gonna go do more with his son, where his son was gonna have to deal with some shit at school because that is some shit that kids would fucking be merciless uh-huh. about. But. His reaction to the baby made me feel like the movie is really making this point of like, it was never about the baby. He was never really able to kill the baby. It was always about him. He needed to feel like he could kill the baby because it was about, it was like his own redemption. He was redeeming himself. But then once he sees the baby, it's like, this is my fucking baby. I don't care if it eats every cat in this goddamn city. I don't care if it kills every milkman between Timbuktu and Portland, Oregon. And what's crazy is like... uh, one of the things we're not saying that I think is an important element is that no one is actually on his side. Like uh, the scientists, immediately the scientists slash doctors are like, Ayo, you need to get this baby so we can study the baby. No one is on his side as a father. No one is there. Right. For, everyone is seeing, they're, 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 all, they're all seeing him as a means to an end. Yeah. Like no one sees him as a person. Yeah, so the, the I think the character's name is the professor. The professor is immediately like, I'm going to fucking study this thing. I'm going to put your baby in a jar and dissect it. Okay. The cops are just like, we need this to end because killer baby is not like good for any of us. Yeah. And then the best scene to me, the scene that really is a lot of, you know, every Larry Cohen movie that I've seen so far has a class element to it. I mean, obviously the first three movies he made were black exploitation movies, so there's also a race element. But, but they all have this class aspect to them where like... um Here's a guy, he's an average dude, he's going through an extraordinary situation. The science elites, they have a thing they want. The cops have a thing they want. But then the cops meet with a guy who's actually in charge, which is random business dude. Yeah. Who we don't know. 
and random business dude is meeting with the head of the police department. So it's like not it's not like random business dude is meeting with the low level detectives who made it. It's like, okay, this is a power meeting. Yeah. And power meeting goes, look, 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 look. We don't know what caused this thing. It's probably our fault. So you have to murder it as soon as you see it because we can't have anyone study it and find out that we made this this, you know, baby. Yeah. You have to and that aspect to it is so it, it's a small thing maybe for some people, but to me, I think it was important for him to add that. It was important to show how no one is I mean, in a sense, Frank wants to kill the baby. So like technically they're on his side. He's like, I'll kill the baby, you'll kill the baby. It's fine. They're only on but his side. But in reality, no one yeah, no one really cares about him. No, they're only on his side because they have similar goals. And the second that the second that uh, he comes out um with the, holding the baby because the baby gets hurt and he's holding it and there's like fucking 70 cops with guns pointed at him and they're like put the goddamn baby down and the one cop's like if you don't put that baby down i will fucking shoot you with the baby and he's like i mean these cops are ready like it's not about like they're ready to kill the baby they're ready to kill him like he's expendable and i i think it shows that the second that his goals deviate from theirs you know it's game over man i also like that that hopefully we watch this movie but the moment when he throws the baby at the cop. <laughs> That's how the movie ends, by the way. He throws his child at a cop. Like, ah! They're going to murder him. Yeah. And there's... I, I, it wasn't that the police chief? It was some high rank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, no, wait, is... it was. It was the police chief, yeah. So the police chief, he's there being like, no, 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 we have wait, to... I thought it was the businessman. No, it was the police chief. It was the police chief? Okay. The businessman was fatter. But the, it was the guys in the meeting. It was, it one was of the, guys the fucking in the higher up. Some it was a guy who is a guy who told the businessman, "Don't worry, we'll murder this fucking baby." So then he's there yeah. and he's like, "Murder this fucking baby!" And I just love that you know the only option Frank has is one is one revenge. It's like, all right, then take the baby. Yeah, and the like, baby's just like, "I'm gonna kill you." Yeah, just <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. It's such a that in and of itself is such a Larry Cohen moment. But then. Like we said, uh, in typical of when the government fucks around and they try too hard to squash something in the last scene, I don't know why they explain it, but they explain that another one has been born in Seattle. So, I mean, I don't know if that was a deliberate attempt at setting up a sequel. I'm inclined to believe it wasn't. And I think that was just Larry Cohen's way of saying, like, you can't brush it under the rug forever. Like, yeah, you know, if there's one, there's 40. I mean, he doesn't really say in the documentary much about that. And he, you know, they in the movie, they don't, you know, the only feature aspects of his career, they leave off every It's Alive sequel. Like, I, I can't know, imagine why. I know that there are It's Alive sequels, but in the movie, they like never mention it. It just doesn't come up. Uh, Michael Moriarty's in one of them. I bet. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> I again, let's be clear. This is a low budget, no permit. This is a fucking. This is as exploitation-y. That shows up a lot more in Q. That element of it than it does in this movie. But we'll just get that out of the way early. Larry Cohen does not give a fuck about permits. Let's be clear. Larry Cohen is the king of running gun. My man has legitimately never paid to film somewhere his it. entire career. That's so beautiful. Like when we say the sewers, they filmed at the L.A. River. Yeah. All right. That's where they are. They're at the L.A. River. You got to pay a motherfucker. You don't get to just show up and shoot an actual film that played in theaters all over the goddamn country. One of the best horror films of the 70s. Yeah. And and made a fuck ton of money 
and my man was just like, yeah, we'll just go. What is it? Sunday night, with, five in the morning? With real cops. Gone. With real cops. Not just, okay. <laughs> in this movie, it's not that much. But this is what, this is one of the, uh, we'll tell this story. Let's, we'll save this for the Q section. Let's just say there's the, the climax of Q. There were no permits and there are hundreds of cops on scene. It's and then more amazing. cops show up. Oh my God. Okay, we'll get to that. Yeah. But the, the point is is that It's Alive is a real shoestring operation. And so, yeah, the creature's dumb. Let's just say it. The creature... It looks shitty, but It doesn't whatever. look great. But the reason Larry Cohen, I think, <clears throat> a lot of his movies really work, is he's a great director of actors, and he gets great performances yes, out of absolutely. people. Yes, absolutely. Michael Moriarty kills it. I actually think, uh, and when we talk about Q, we'll get to this, that... Uh, uh, Kung Fu dude. What is his name? David Carradine. David Carradine, who I don't love as an actor, is pretty charming in the movie. Yeah, he's very good. Yeah. Um, in this movie, again, not everyone is golden, but uh, our main folks, the parents, who the people who really need to carry this movie, they carry this movie. This movie works because of them. Yes. And some of it's Larry Cohen's editing, some of it's the score, whatever, whatever. Sure, 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 sure. I'll give you all that. But it's really their performances. And I don't say that to lessen him. I say that because that's what makes him a great director. That he can take a ridiculous idea, but really get these actors to commit to it in a way that the movie works because of their performances. Yeah, I think this movie, it gets lumped in a lot of times with like goofy like B-movies. Almost like, like Frankenheimer territory. But it's much better than like than anything, that, than anything Frankenheimer ever did. Um yeah, I mean, it, it just... Do you mean... Do you, Frank, wait, Frankenheimer? Not Frankenheimer. Who did fucking... You're thinking of Henenlotter. Henenlotter. He did Frankenhooker. That's what I was thinking. Don't get me wrong. I love Basket Case. I love... We talked about... We already did an episode on... Um, brain damage. Brain damage. And I fucking love Frankenhooker. I think Frankenhookers are great. Yeah. But these are dumb movies. Like, they're fun. They're stupid. But they're stupid movies with... Well, what, what Henenlotter does is stupid movies with heart. Like... Basket Case partly works because of the emotional pull, but it's a dumb movie. Yeah. The same thing with Brain Damage. It it has actual shit going on. I think it's his best movie. Yeah. But it's kind of dumb. I mean, and Frankenhooker, uh, it's a little less emotionally there, but it still works really well. Yeah. That's not Larry Cohen. Larry Cohen is an entertainer, and I think people, because he's an entertainer, they think there's nothing there. But he writes good scripts with good ideas, I think. And all of, like... Every character that needs to be likable, you can, they like, you, you have like, like vested interest in the character. Like, even though, like, you have the main characters, Frank and Lenore, like, they're the ones who carry, they're the ones who've brought this thing in the world. For better or worse, they are responsible for this movie. You are invested in their well being. And it's interesting because, like, I remember watching this and they had, like, the son, and I was like, I don't really care if the kid dies. And it's not that he's a shitty character, it's just that that character didn't matter. Right. You know what I mean? Um, I care about it because I know it'll destroy Frank. Exactly. In there, that yes. moment, I'm thinking, is Frank going to shoot his own kid by mistake while he's trying? I mean, his other kid. He's trying to shoot <laughs> his, his real own kid. kid. Yeah. He's trying to shoot his kid, but he's going to shoot the wrong kid. Yeah. And that's a real. I, when you're watching that moment when the kid's in the basement, there is a sense of dread, but it's not because I'm like, I hope the baby doesn't eat the kid. I don't give a fuck about that kid. The baby can eat that kid. That's fine. Yeah. But I'm thinking. If the baby eats a kid, it'll How's destroy it Frank. Frank. If Frank shoots the other kid, the not monster kid, that's going to destroy him. The wife is done no matter what. She's fucked from the gate. Like, this baby has destroyed her sanity. Um, 
There's also little details I love. There's a moment, the, the story note note moment. Again, I'm assuming everyone listening to this has seen the movie. So you notice Frank comes home. There's so much goddamn milk. And we've already set up that people usually get like two bottles of milk. He comes Piles. home. He comes home. There's seven bottles of milk. And then he opens the freezer. It's filled with hot dogs. Why are there so many hot dogs? There's a million hot dogs. And he just goes on with his day like, this is normal. Yeah, putting milk the and milk hot dogs. away. But I mean, again, that might, we're I'm making it sound humorous. But it actually makes sense. He's in shock. The whole movie, he's in shock. Yeah. He doesn't know what to do. He's devastated. He's not noticing these giant life changes. It's only later at night where he's like, oh, that's weird. We had like seven fucking bottles of milk. Now there's no milk. All the hot dogs are gone. All the meat's gone. It's almost like it's alive has come back. <laughs> I like at first he's like, did our normal son come home? No, he's at our creepy neighbors who I don't quite trust 100%. And he's making Justin nervous. Oh, did you get a, a bit of a pedophile vibe just from the... A, from just the a head? touch. Just, just when he's touch. like, oh, we're going to go fishing on the lake. The second I realized he didn't have any kids of his own, red flags everywhere. It was a different time. Uh, Yeah, it was a worse time. I mean, that's fair. It's the 70s. It was horrible. Um, So yeah, any, anything else on It's Alive? Well, I mean, if you... Uh, hopefully, if you haven't seen it, we didn't ruin it. I, you know, we don't. Re- I don't really think with a movie like It's Alive, I'm that committed to spoilers. Like... You need to see this movie for yourself. There's not any big fucking twists in this movie that's gonna. No, like we blow didn't your mind. ruin yeah. the plot for you. And I think, I think um, it has a visual. I mean, Larry Cohen is not what I would call an auteur per se, but he's got a visual style that I really like. I think the editing works. It's goofy in some ways, but that goofiness doesn't take away. I think from any of the emotional weight, which makes it better. Yes. Like the fact that a movie can be kind of like, oh, like this, you know, there's a scene where a milkman gets killed. It's, first of all, it has the dumbest psycho reference I've ever seen. The milk going down the... Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, it, it's exactly like, like yeah, you yeah. know, the drain. And it, you know, that's funny. That's a funny thing. Yeah. But even with all that, uh, both... You can laugh at the movie, and you can laugh with the movie. It still doesn't take away from the emotional weight of the movie, which is maybe why some people find the movie boring, because all they want is goofy shit. They just want to see the baby kill a bunch of people. Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, it's not like that. Honestly, that's great, though. I don't really believe the killing spree baby can kill more than a few people. It's not like the baby's got superpowers. It's literally, I mean, it's like a baby that, I mean, it can't fly. Do they fly in Island League Alive? I don't know. It's not important. Yeah, it's it's not. This isn't like um, uh, like I don't know. Like a, it's just a fucking baby with claws and fangs. Like it's, it can it, it attacks people kind. I mean, there's a little bit. You know, there's some you, logistics. If you're caught off guard, I guess. If it's yeah. like in a dark room, I mean, it gets the cat. Cats are hard to catch, so I mean, I'll give it credit. I mean, for it's that. definitely strong. Don't get me wrong. It's more than, it's more than your average baby. It's not like a normal baby that it tricks you to come too close or something like that. It attacks people. But I mean, I guess. The idea that well the you know the movie would be better if it was just this like blood spree murder no it's they it's, remade this movie oh did they they did he wrote the script actually yeah now that I'm thinking about it he wrote the script for the remake but I, I haven't seen it I wonder if it is that I wonder if it's just like nonstop murder baby on a murder spree out, I believe it came out in 2007 so I'm inclined to believe it was probably like you know there's like fucking gallons and gallons of blood spraying everywhere. And a CGI baby. And a CGI baby. Um, but now, yeah. I kinda, now I kind of want to watch it. I won't watch it. I might watch it. If it's on Shutter, I'll watch it. 
I, I'm just, if I don't have to pay for it, I'll watch it. No, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, I, I don't know if you start your Larry Cohen adventure with this, but I'm glad we watched it. So am I. I mean, I knew I've I've never seen this movie before, so it was a, uh, you know, it was a movie I was obviously aware of it, of its existence. Um, you've probably seen the poster for this in some form or another. Oh, one hundred percent. Or an image of it. You know, if yeah. you, if the baby with the big veiny head that they don't often they don't really show much of it in the movie, but. It's definitely uh, it's definitely a movie you've seen even if you it's it's definitely a movie you've seen imagery from even if you're unaware of the fact that you've seen imagery from it. Yeah. All right. Uh, so I guess it's alive. Good movie. That's Liam's seal of approval. Uh, we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, we're gonna talk about 1982s. 1982s. 82. 82s. 82. 82s. 1982's Q, the winged serpent. The winged serpent. We'll be right back. For ten centuries it has waited to be awakened, to be worshipped again like a god, to fill the skies, to cast its shadow over the earth. To release its fury. Today in New York City, the winged serpent rises. The winged serpent rules. The winged serpent. David Carradine. This thing has been prayed back into existence. Michael Moriarty. It was big and there was something in it that looked like an egg. But it couldn't have been an egg. <laughs> there aren't any eggs. <laughs> no egg that big. Richard Roundtree. What I want to know is, how the hell is this tie-in with the murders and the mutilations? Candy Clark. What are you going to do if someone dies tomorrow, or the next day, or the next day? Well, I'm not going to think about it, you know? It won't be my fault. It'll be theirs if they don't give me what I want. Money. One million dollars in cash tax-free. They are searching. Looking good! Discovering. <laughs> believing. Preparing for the battle of a thousand years. Load tracer ammunition. Want to see the trajectory? Get those guys into the basket. Okay, everybody hold their positions. Everybody stay right where you are, all right? Don't move. the fantastic flying forces of a lost age. You like saying a prayer? Man against the winged serpent. Today in New York City, the winged serpent rules. The legend has come alive. And we are back to talk about 1982's dark fantasy horror film written and directed by Larry Cohen. Q, the winged serpent. Its name is Quetzalcoatlus. Just call it Q. That's all the time you'll have to say before it tears you apart. That was the tagline on the poster. I really like that poster. Like they hand-painted one of the Q over the um, Chrysler building. So, uh, Q, 
1982, starring Michael Moriarty, Candy Clark, David Carradine, and fucking Shaft, Richard Roundtree. Um, basically, the plot of this is Michael Moriarty plays this lovable goof, Jimmy, Jimmy Quinn. He's a small time, he's a getaway driver. Um, he gets caught up in some bad shit. Um, he uh, is the, he partakes in a botched heist diamonds or something i don't know and um he is forced to uh hide in the chrysler tower the chrysler building in new york city and he finds this big egg there and there's this fucking giant monster there and it turns out that there's this aztec god quetzalcoatlus the winged serpent who's been responsible for a series of murders around new york city yeah let's let's be clear a bunch of weird shit happens before oh yeah the window wiper gets his head bit off yeah 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 a few people end up dead People on the street have blood dripped on Raining them. from the sky. Blood just falls on them. And David Carradine is this cop. And what's his, what's the name of his partner? Uh, his his cop's actor. name is... Uh, it's Richard Roundtree. Oh, is that Richard Roundtree? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, Sergeant Powell and Detective Shepard. So the two of them, they don't know what the fuck to do. They don't care. Uh, yeah, there's a little bit of a feeling of them of like, this is New York. Weird shit happens. David Carradine literally says, they're like, his head's missing. And he's like, maybe it fell off. And they're like, well, where is it? He's like, I don't know. It'll turn up. Like, <laughs> but here's the thing. David Carradine cares enough to start to figure it out. Yes. Like, he's very open, and he starts to piece what is not quite a puzzle. It's just a couple of notes that he, like, puts yeah. together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Richard Roundtree's like, fuck all this. I don't care. Like, okay. Like, it, what I think is interesting is how the precinct is actually really willing pretty quickly to be like, okay, giant bird. This is New York. They are shockingly quick to get on board with They're this. They're like, all right, that makes sense. It's the only thing that makes sense. Noted criminal with no credibility. But no, but even before Michael Moriarty, David Carradine convinces them. But then David Carradine goes, and the reason is because of these ritual murders we've been looking into. Yes. They've brought this god back to... And they're all like, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> Giant bird, sure, whatever. New York is weird. Weird things happen. Yeah. And, and it sounds like I'm making fun, but I actually am... I feel like accurately describing these cops. No, that's exactly Their what they are. Their feeling is like, okay, okay, look. The world is a weird place. New York is particularly weird. I'm willing to accept whatever you want to say about a creature eating people. That's fine. I can go shoot a creature. Don't tell me anything about a god. I don't want to know about that. And he's like, look, look, look. All of these people are being murdered in a ceremony that we can show is related to worshiping a giant winged creature and also, a giant winged creature is eating people. It's not like our man is Sherlock Holmes. He literally goes to a guy. To a museum. To a museum. Guy at the museum goes, oh, what you're seeing is ritual murder. Here's all of the evidence that this has already happened. And he breaks it down. He's like, the flaying, it's present. The Aztecs did it. You know, yep. they would. They had yep. to go willingly to the side. Like, he really, this is like a point-by-point -point presentation of how to fucking sacrifice someone that gets Aquatilus. Yeah. And David Carradine's like, that. all of that makes sense. All that makes sense to me. I'm going to go to my superiors with it. And they're like, hold the fucking phone. Again, I'm not saying that cops should be stoked on the idea that an ancient god has come back to life. I get that they're skeptical. It's just weird that they're like, giant bird? Sure. Not even a bird. It, that thing is not a bird. It has like four legs and wings. They all tell themselves it's a bird. It's though. a bird, yeah. Because they they've never seen a bird in their life, apparently. Because I saw that thing, I'd be like, that's a dog with wings. It's not a fucking bird. But I mean, it, it, I don't think David Carradine is... The reason I'm 
think it's funny. I'm not trying to say this is a bad movie. This movie's great. It's amazing. But what's so funny to me about it is that he's clearly like, look, at a certain point in history, people worshipped what they thought was a giant bird or lizard thing or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. In this way. Now this is happening and people are getting eaten by a giant bird. And the cops go, no, I don't don't need to hear about that. (laughs) Yes, there's a giant bird and we'll go shoot it. That's fine. But all this ritual murder stuff. All this voodoo bullshit. I don't want to fucking hear this shit. Okay, I don't want to hear it. I I just something about that. Again, I'm making it sound like it's bad. It's great. And I something about it just I find it really charming. It's beautiful. Every authority figure in this movie, except for David Carradine, is so fucking hostile towards everyone. Including but not limited to the security guard, the two-bit rent-a-cop security guard in the fucking Chrysler building, who's, you know, you don't get wet if I hear you in there. You're only gonna get a year for this. Come on out. Uh, by the way, you may recognize that security guard from Chud. Chud. Yes. He's in other things, too. There's a movie where he gets really sick. Good. Does he die? Yeah. Good. But what movie is it? it, it uh, Outbreak. <laughs> You're thinking of Outbreak with Dustin Hoffman. Nope. Are you sure it's not Outbreak? Yeah. Okay. I Okay. Guys, friends, listeners, ladies. I, I, I realize for some people, guys is a gender term. And for me, it's like a term for all humans. Um, people listening to this podcast. Find this guy's, I think his name is Ed something, Ed Snyder or something like that, this actor. He's been in something else, and I can't figure out what it is, and I need y'all. And it's weird. It's not like we have phones in front of us where we can just go on IMDb and fucking look this up in two seconds. Yo, I'm trying to encourage interactive <sighs> Okay, here. Liam, put your phone down. So, yeah, if you guys know what movie Ed something was in, aside from Chud and Q, hit us up on Twitter at the Harbiz 666 and fucking interact with us. You motherfuckers. So, what else I like what else I like about this movie? Okay, we didn't get to explain. So then Michael Moriarty, he the 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 heist goes poorly. Very badly. And he loses, oh, it's Eddie Jones. Eddie Jones, close to Spencer. And he loses all the fucking diamonds. And it turns out when you work with the mob, they don't like when you lose shit. They don't want to hear about that. They're not here for your problems. They just want their diamonds. And so they go after him, and they are so goddamn obnoxious. They're, like, banging on his door, and they just look like fucking pricks. The one guy has, like, that weird, like, uh, what's the guy's name? Um, Robert Zadar-esque jaw. Like, and there's other guys, just this, like, fucking jerk. He's like, hey, Jimmy, come on, we're not going to hurt you. And they're, like, they're hitting his buzzer, and it's really loud. And he's panicking. He's just, he's not a, he's not a killer. They make it very clear, like, he's like, I don't want to carry a gun. I don't carry a gun. I'm like, you're going to carry a gun if you do this job. And it's important to highlight for you that just before this, he's discovered Quetzalcoatl. Quetzalcoatlus. Quetzal- no, I think you're Is right. it Quetzalcoatlus? Quetzalcoatlus is the prehistoric pterosaur that they named after the ancient Aztec god. The point is, is that he knows where the giant bird is. Because he goes to the... The lizard creature. He uh, He's hiding from... Who is he? Is he running from the police? At that point, he's running away from from the police, from the murder, and or the murder, the crime, the crime. Yes, and and he gets up there and he finds this thing. He's way up in the top of the Chrysler building. So then, when these dudes come to put the pressure on, and they—that's what they do—they come to put the pressure on. Yeah, they beat him up. They fucking they shake him down. They 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 strong arm him. They rough. They rough him up. And he's like, "No, guys, okay, I got the diamonds. I hid the diamonds. I'll take you to the diamonds." They're like, "No funny business." So they believe him. 
and he takes him to the Chrysler building. And it's sort of it's it's a similar setup to if you've ever seen Creep Show, uh, the, the the element with um, Adrian Barbeau, the um, the crate where the guy's like, "Billy, you fucking bitch!" and the fucking monster comes out of the crate. Like he is leading these men there in the hope that this monster that he has found will kill them. And it does. But, you know, them being higher up mob people and him being, you know, a fucking crook, um, their deaths don't go unnoticed. Like, people start asking questions, and at one point he becomes, like, a suspect. Um, and eventually he, like, tells him this shit. And like Liam said, it's it's really weird how, the how like, this guy is, like, he's, like, this, like, small-time two-bit crook, and the cops are like, yeah, you know what? Sure, we'll believe you. We'll get a uh, hundred cops with fucking machine guns. We'll give you a million dollars and all the right. Like his list of demands is so insane. It's like a hostage list. It's it's like it's like you've ever seen Airheads where they're like we want naked pictures of B. Arthur and all this shit. It's like I want all the rights to the fucking books, all the talk show, all the shit that doesn't matter. And they're like, yeah, take it, sure, fuck it. You know, take us to this strange bird monster. Um, and earlier in the in, in when we're talking about it's alive, we were talking about how Larry Cohen just doesn't give a fuck about your permits. Um, he has real cops in the Chrysler building in the climax of this movie shooting out the window because it's like a gunfight between this bird, this monster's like swooping down and these guys are shooting at it. It's like a reverse King Kong, if that makes any sense. And, um, you know, so they're like fucking shooting at it and everything like that. And it's they're spilling shells onto the streets below. They're shooting blanks, but if you're shooting a machine gun with blanks, the shells still come flying out. Easily, hundreds of rounds are f- raining down onto the streets of New York. They have nets, but people fucking notice. The, the yeah. nets don't catch all the cases. Yeah. People notice. There's, I mean, uh, the, the guns make a noise. It's yeah, not I'm sure violent. people were like, "Oh, cool." There's a shootout at the Chrysler Building, and my man has not gotten a single permit. Meanwhile, most of the people are who are there are, are cops. cops. Yeah. So then the cops come, and it's like a whole thing. He ended up having to take an ad out in the paper being like, sorry, I scared everybody. <laughs> I, was ma- I was making a movie. Sorry. That's actually kind of awesome. Yeah, I think it was like headline. It was like the front of the New York Times was like, movie shoot. No, the dumbass Larry Cohen. They, yeah. they thought it was, and don't get me wrong, they thought it was terrorist guys. Like, this is 1982. Like, literally, they're like, oh, Libyans are shooting up the Chrysler building. We got to get down there. And if you see this movie, like, even in even in movie time, this is an extensive gun battle. I can't even fucking imagine what that was like in real time. Like, you got David Carradine, like, looks like this bird flew too close to the sun or whatever he's fucking some quip he says. And the bird leans in and he fucking shoots it. Um, but the whole point is that David, Car- David Carradine, Larry Cohen, he wipes his ass with, with conventions and permits and he just doesn't give a fuck. I mean, it sounds like he's just an asshole. That's not what we're saying here. He's an artist. He gets good shots that way. Like he gets crowd interactions. All the parts where Michael Moriarty is running around. It's, he's on shooting, the street. He's shooting. Them. These aren't fucking actors. Yeah, he shoots it from basically the, the way the way um, the way I can best explain it is he shoots Mark, Michael Moriarty running from a distance, but it's zoomed in on him. So it's right. got this weird perspective to it where like. He's like running down these streets and it's intercut with shots of like, you know, a close up of like Michael Moriarty running through a crowd. And then this camera, like not on a steady cam, just pushing through the crowd. So it, it, it like all three of those techniques, they combine to create this really, really very. Uh, it gives you a feeling what it's like to be a panicked man running through the streets of New York. Right. 
Um, and people respond, and it's real. It's their real response. Yeah, like if like if he like bumps into someone, like you know, there 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 are scenes where he's like acting like an asshole, like and there's like these like kids behind him, and they're like kind of like looking at him, like I don't think they knew. They didn't know they were making a fucking movie. No. Um, All right, let's talk about, take a moment here and tell our listeners about Michael Moriarty's performance in this movie. Michael Moriarty in this movie may very well be the most likable criminal I have ever seen in a film. I mean, the only reason I'm willing to buy into this plot point where he convinces them that he's going to show them where the serpent is and that's going to make it out. And you don't hate him. At no moment am I like, what a fucking what a dickhead. dickhead. I would hang out with this guy in I'm real like, life. I'm like, yo, man, I hope they don't screw this guy over. They're going to yeah. screw him over. Because every the whole movie is 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 Michael Moriarty getting fucked over. Like, his yeah. girlfriend works in a bar, and he goes there, and he's like a jazz pianist, and he's playing the song. He's like, you guys need a live pianist? Da-do-ba-ba-da, da-do-ba-ba. And, like, the bartender, like, starts playing the jukebox. He's like, fuck you. And as he walks out, like, David Carradine's like, hey, you sound pretty good. <laughs> and Michael Moriarty's like, the fuck do you know? <laughs> <laughs> so good. but it's like he's such a like he's such a, like a down on his luck like likable guy who you just you just feel bad for him because it's like life just shits on him and it's apparent when you first see him and he's having like chinese food with these like mafioso types and they're just like very clearly gonna fuck this guy they they're, don't give a shit they don't give a him. shit they're like you're gonna carry a gun um did they tell him he's like oh my takes like 20 percent like fuck you you're getting 12.5 percent if you're yeah. lucky yeah and I kind of got the feeling that they were setting him up to be the fall guy the whole time. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Um, and then there's this one point when he comes back from the... When he first goes back to his apartment after he he's in, like, the Chrysler building, and he's, like, all, like, fucked up, and, like, he, he also gets hit by a car at one point, so he's, like, limping, and he's, like, talking to his girlfriend, and he's, like... It's just this really weird, sincere moment where he's like, I just want to cry. I stink. I just want to cry. And she's like, then fucking cry. And he's like, but I can't cry because I'm I'm not supposed to cry. I'm a man. Oh, my God. I don't know what I'm going to do. And he's just like ranting. And you're like, yo, this dude legit sounds like he's about to have a nervous breakdown. <laughs> like, It's a really solid performance. And it it I, it makes me wonder, like, why, why isn't Michael Moriarty like the biggest dude ever? I have no idea. He's so good at He's so movie. fucking good. And not only that, like, he can play, like, he's done a lot of TV stuff, too, hasn't he? He does, like, a lot of, um... Sure. So, he he's he's a great actor. He... he I, I just... I, you, you gotta see this movie. Like, there's... I mean, I hate to sound so vague and everything, but, like, his character, like, Jimmy Quinn, is, like, such a fucking good guy. Like, the moment he's on screen, you're like, this... I hope this guy makes it. Like, I mean, he's a little bit of a... He's a, he's a little bit of a dick. I, okay. But it's endearing. It's endearing, and it's not like it's. He's only a dick because people are fucking trying to kill him, and he's got a goddamn god after him. And I am, I am pulling for him. And you know, the movie sort of culminates in him needing to have his his ass saved. Yes. And I'm like, I'm so with him. I want things to work out for him, and I don't care about David Carradine. I don't. I don't fuck, yeah. I feel like David Carradine is like the hero of this movie, and and it is a good performance for him. He's yeah. fun. He's their interactions are great. But man, I just want Michael Moyard to walk away with a million dollars. Like yeah. I really want it, and it's not gonna happen. You don't think it happens? No, I think they took this took his money. Yeah, I think they fuck him. Yeah, that's also a thing is they promise him all this money, and then like when he, they first get there, the Quetzalcoatl, he's out. He's, he's gone. He's out doing his thing, and they're like, "Oh, he wasn't here when we got here, so you owe us no money." money. Yeah, which sucks because I mean he has this brilliant idea of like dropping a circus tent on the. You know, we won't get into it. Um. 
but no, he's just he's so he's so likable and fucking lovable in this movie. It's like every time I watch it, I'm like, God damn it, Michael Moriarty's just awesome. And I mean, is he that like? Does he do the same kind of like shtick in the in the stuff? It's been so long since I've watched it. Like, oh, it's shticky. The stuff is shticky. Uh, it's a little bit different because he's a little bit like the man in the stuff. He's a little sleazy in the stuff. I remember he's and like kind of he kind of like ugh, sleazes his way through every scene. <laughs> he always looks like he's just kind of showing up and like you can't see it, but improving. Liam, Liam kind of did like a quasi little seated Ric Flair strut right there. <laughs> he's in this. Uh, we'll talk. We'll do an episode. Of yeah, stuff, yeah. But my memory of the stuff is like he's always kind of like stumbling into every scene. Like he just got there and he's just quipping. And everything feels a little improvised and a little loose. And it's like super entrancing. It's like hypnotic how he yes. is in every every scene. He's kind of like, what even fucking is going on, man? Like, you know, it's not the, his character in Key was desperate. He's yeah. down in his luck. He's desperate. He is funny, but, but you know, uh, you feel for him. His character in the stuff is sort of like, a little above it all, but he can't be because Killer Yogurt is destroying the world. Yeah, and he's got to deal with Paul Sorvino being a racist asshole. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so like the look about this movie is, I I realized, um, I I once said when we did our episode like that, like Frank Henenlotter's New York City at night is the best version of New York City. Sure. I kind of think that maybe Larry Cohen's New York by day is equally mm-hmm. is equally good. I mean, I don't know if I can say the best because, uh, as you know, I'm a big um, fuck. It was right on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> Such a big uh, fan. Uh, Miss Forty Five. Oh, okay. Killer, killer. Yeah, yeah. What is his name? Hold on. Hey Liam, do an edit here so that you don't <laughs> sound like a fucking idiot, and you can edit in that this person's name. I'm assuming this is just what other podcasts do. We just don't hear because they edit it out. Okay, let's bring this up. Um, I I can agree that Larry Cohen's daytime New York is really great, but you know I'm a big Abel Ferrara fan. Yes, you are a big Abel Ferrara fan. <laughs> I really, I mean, he's really unbelievable. And um, Miss Forty Five, King of New York, uh, Driller Killer, uh, is Bad Lieutenant. Set in New York? No, that's in New Orleans, isn't it? No, that's the remake. Oh, okay. Or not the remake, the sequel, unlicensed sequel, I guess? I yeah. I don't know. Anyways, I just think Abel Ferrara has a really compelling New York that I really... Oh, my God. I didn't realize Abel Ferrara directed Body Snatchers, written by Larry Cohen. The fucking... Comes full circle. Jesus, I need to see that now. Um, especially, I think, uh, in... Um, uh, Fear City, Miss 45, and Driller Killer. Uh, King of New York, too, although King of New York is doing its own thing a little bit. But anyways, uh, man, I feel like we could do a whole series just on fucked up New York horror movies. Yeah. It's a great city to do fucked up shit in. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Anyway, sorry about that. Uh, yeah, I think that Q is such a fun version of New York. Yes. And it's not the only time he shot in New York, but I think... Um, uh, this might be my favorite of his films in New York. Though I haven't seen, I think Special Effects is in New York, and I've never seen that. Not familiar. 
There's I, one of the things I it, that that's cool about this movie is like when, like there there's a lot of they they do a lot of shots where they I don't know if they accomplished them with with helicopters or cranes or whatever, but there's all these like very weird sweeping shots that are obviously supposed to represent the creature's point of view that just show again it's like a it's like a forced perspective the way it shows the city it's just like it just looks gorgeous and I don't know he just really captures like um like how dirty and disgusting New York is sure but then you got like a lot of like Q's actual victims are people who have like the type of people who have like pools on their rooftops and have jang- jangly gold bracelets and you know they see their neighbors like one of the people that gets one of the victims is this woman who's like sunbathing and we see her through the eyes of a voyeur who's like spying on her like yeah tits and then she gets like fucking picked up by this monster so it shows like the down on the fucking ground Jimmy Quinn you know down in the luck guys and then meanwhile you get these people who live on the top of skyscrapers who are getting you know plucked the fuck off by this giant god and it's all just delicious uh, delicious it's just it's great it's a great it's a great it's a, it makes New York City look so awesome like everything about it is like I mean okay so the monster is very much a Harry it's not by Ray Harry it looks very Harry House but it's very Harry House so if you hate Harry House and monsters it might be hard for you to get into this uh the monster itself isn't bad I think it no. looks good the scenes where the claymation is really bad are the scenes like in the climax when it's like grabbing police officers off the Chrysler building and throwing them Right. Then I, it like uh, it, it, it it's it's dated. Again, another point from the documentary, there's a way that you film background so that someone can do claymation over it. And Larry Cohen was like, fuck that. Larry Cohen didn't even know that was a thing. He just <laughs> shot his fucking movie and he sent it to the special effects guys like, All right, movie's done, now add the monster. And uh that's not how you do this. I love and, it. Uh, so it's parts of it are a little messy, let's say. Um I think the scene you're talking about where these cops get thrown, it's pretty clear that the image of the cops is on a still background. Yes. It's a completely flat background, and then they take this image and just kind of spin it across. Yes. And they very easily could have just cut out pictures of those cops and then just moved them by hand, stop motion-wise. Yes, they could have. Across like a solid background. I don't know how they did it. Uh, it's also, I mean, you, you guys got to understand, okay, <clears throat> The way that they shoot the winged serpent is that some people are inside and some people are out on these uh, baskets. Um, When they go up in the Chrysler building, those baskets were there because they were working on the Chrysler building. And so he's like, oh, you got these baskets. You got guys who go in these baskets? It's like, yeah, we got some guys who know how to go in the baskets. like, cool, get them cop uniforms. We'll just film them in the basket. Fuck. Like, my man... Is not interested in wasting money in no, any it's way, shape, beautiful. or form. I love it. I fucking love it. And so, um, just little details like that, I think, are really interesting. And the movie works. It's a fun fucking time. It looks amazing. It really does. Again, it, even if you hate the monster, the rest of the movie looks so good. It's great. It's worth watching for Michael Moriarty alone. I mean, and even even if you hate the monster, you shouldn't because. Uh, the the one scene that is like that looks genuinely haunting is like when the monster spoiler alert the monster dies um i don't know what building it lands on but it's like this like weird pyramid building and it looks like it, it it ceases it doesn't look like it's in new york city anymore it looks like it's like a god dying at a temple yep and there's just something very like 
sword and sorcery, like Robert Jordan, F. Paul Wilson about it all. That just it just works, and it, it it's it really does stand in like stark contrast with the rest of the movie that is like very rooted in like gritty New York, like you know pre Disneyifying Times Square, New York, like Taxi Driver era New York, and all of a sudden there's just this monster in the middle of it all dying on a pyramid. It's just striking, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. And it has the completely unnecessary stinger of showing you an egg in a house in like Brooklyn. Yeah, it's like oh, you know, and it's it cracks not up, over zooms yet. in. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They never made a sequel. No. They okay, didn't. good. Thank God. I mean, I still love those zinger endings when they don't yeah. result in a sequel, and you know, it's fun. Um, I also love that later on in the movie, the soundtrack is Michael Moriarty playing a piano, going <laughs> like it's. It's just so good. It's so good. There's not a good Blu-ray release of this yet. I think. I don't think. Doesn't affect me because I don't watch Blu-ray. Oh, I fucking hate you. I don't think there is. Or at least we watched a DVD, um, which is terrible. Mm. Uh, maybe there's a. Maybe there is. Actually, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there has been a good Blu-ray release. I want to say it was released as like a double feature with something else. I think it's worth finding this movie if you can find a copy it's of great. it. It's great. It's a great movie. Um, and you know, let these two just be an intro to Larry Cohen. He didn't direct a million movies, and no. um, even the documentary about how great he is didn't highlight every movie. So I'm assuming some of those movies are really bad, but uh, some of those movies are really good, and you need to give them a chance. Yes, I um, it, it, it's weird. I I have two people, uh, friend of the podcast and guest of the podcast, Evan Valella, when he and I were in were in college together, we watched this stuff all the time. Yeah, you know what I mean, like that. That and you know, um, another friend who's not like a crazy big horror fan. My friend Aaron, she loves the stuff. Uh, it it's it just Larry Cohen is like one of the one of these guys. Again, I, I I said it before. Like you might not you might not know his name, but I think even people who I wouldn't even consider casual horror fans, anyone with like a passing knowledge of like seventies horror, knows about it's alive. Can I tell you, I forgot, there was actually one funny moment from Breakfast with Larry Cohen. What's that? I told him that I loved his work, and I said the scene in the stuff, when the stuff comes out in the radio station out of the dude, his yeah. face opens up and the stuff comes out, and he's like, yeah, yeah. It's like, that fucking haunted my childhood. Well, when chocolate, chocolate happens to cho- uh, yeah, chocolate yeah. chip Charlie? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he, he kind of was like, yeah, okay, Like he's probably heard that before, he's fine with that, whatever. And then my food came, which was... Uh, Biscuits and gravy, very stuff. Just sausage on it. Yeah, and he looks at. He's like, "You're gonna eat that?" I'm like, "Yeah." He's like, "About to haunt me the way the stuff haunted you." I'm gonna, I'm gonna get out of here. <laughs> so he goes to the bathroom. He comes back and like where our table was, there was like a pole right there. He stands next to the pole and then like puts his face around. He's like, "Are you done yet?" <laughs> How the fuck did you not mention at the beginning of the episode? I forgot about that. How do you forget about that? He didn't say anything else the rest of the lunch. That was his one thing. Was making fun of my breakfast and saying that it was gonna haunt him the way that the stuff haunted me. Larry Cohen riffed on you hard. He dunked on you, he, and you you did not bring it up. He definitely dunked on me. <laughs> it was All right. funny. Uh, he dunked on Eric Roberts a couple of times too. I'm sure he did. I'm sure Eric Roberts was too fucking high to care. <laughs> oh, he was. I know. I'm just fucking with it. Um, although he. Oh man. All right. We're not gonna get into that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um. Uh. Hey. So Larry Cohen is great. Watch the stuff or the stuff. Watch, watch the stuff too. Yeah, but wa- also watch Q and it's live. Uh, and maybe we'll do an episode, another Larry Cohen episode in the future, 
where we talk about God told me to. I'm down for another Larry Cohen episode. The Ambulance. Yes. Damblance. The Ambulance. All right. As always, thank you for listening. Uh, you can check out this episodes of this podcast and several great other ones at www.cinepunks.com. Uh, you can buy Har Business t-shirts at the store there. Um, check us out on iTunes. Remember, rate, review, subscribe, and download, download, download. Leave us a five-star review. Shoot me an email at theharbiz at gmail, and I'll send you some fucking swag. Everyone likes swag. Um, other than that, uh, I guess that's about it. I'm looking. I'm trying to think. Did we miss anything? No, that's good. All right, cool. Uh, thanks for listening. Stay spoopy. Fuck Victor Salva. <laughs>